Bonte, one question. Taedo Utejania defines Sankara as, I remember, unconscious reactive pattern. Unconscious reactive? Pattern, like... Pattern, pattern. Pattern, yeah. I was thinking, because you said Sankara you define as everything that is product of cause and condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's everything that is volitional, that has intention, right? Yeah, two types of Sankara, the big one and the small one. Which one are you talking about? I don't know, the, the small one probably. The small one is, is, has volition involved. Has volition. Yeah, the, the big one has both either volition or no volition. Anything that is a product of causes and conditions belongs to the big one. Okay. I probably talk more about the second one because the big one I am not very clear about it. I'm talking okay, about I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. The big one, like Vedana, is also a Sankara. Sanya is also a Sankara. Uh, it's a big Sankara, but not a small one because it doesn't have volition. If I compare the two definitions, one is unconscious reactive pattern with what you just said, like is there is volition. So how can there be volition if it's unconscious? Then it's the other, is out of that one. This big Sankara has products of causes and conditions which don't involve volition, as well as those that involve volition. What he's saying is the one that doesn't involve volition. Okay. When we do this body movement that you are saying is the second type, like the one that we are not conscious about it. Uh, the Qigong. Yes. Uh, yeah, that one is, the mind is not conscious, but the body is conscious. Okay. So I don't know what he means by unconscious, whether it's the mind or the body. <laughs> uh, well, something like, for example, when we practice Vipassana, we try to make conscious what is unconscious, like you generating, for example, you're sitting, your pain is there, and you amplify the pain by reacting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is kind of unconscious, and then you practice Vipassana, and you become conscious that in the pain, you have the physical pain, and you have the reaction that you're making uh, around uh, it by uh, resisting right, right, to right, it. Right. So this, this resistance is a kind of Sankara, and uh, we practice in order to make it conscious and to avoid this reaction. By being aware of it, you're just avoiding this reaction. It's what I call an unconscious reaction. see, Goenka uses Sankara in another way. <laughs> it's an Indian way, which is not the same as the way that we are talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yesterday you talked about Satisutta. Yeah. And then you talked about, the Buddha said, that you need to investigate the Vitaka the Vedana and the Sanya. The first question is how to see the Sankaras, how to investigate, but then he's talking about Sankaras, but in the Satisutta he's talking about Vitaka and Sanya, which is not a Sankara, and Vedana, which is also not a Sankara. Vitaka is a Sankara. Vitaka is a Sankara, yeah, yeah. but then the other two are not. Or yeah. is it? are the questions relating to the big? Yeah, big one. Oh, okay. The big one. The question is, is the big, the big Sankaras. So basically you're saying, investigate everything. <laughs> Correct, exactly. Okay, good, good. And then another question about yesterday's talk about Sampajana. As I understand it, the Ada anchor is more related to the cultivation of Sati, 
or sati and samadhi actually are anchor and the nursery rhyme are anchor is more for the mind and free and easy touch and go is more for the five senses but my question is how do we cultivate sampajana or my question is actually is sampajana included in ara anchor or why isn't it included okay. actually you see the d stands for don't reject mm-hmm. right don't follow and don't ignore yeah if you reject that's dosa if you follow that's loba if you ignore that's moha so if you don't do all that then you're sowing the seeds of wisdom you are collecting data when you recognize things mm-hmm. that is the job of sati you collect data and then later on when you incline the mind to verify cause and condition then sampajanya will piece all the data together and give you an answer yeah so you didn't include sampajana in the nursery rhyme out of fear that people would intellectually apply it no no that one is actually more for composing the mind like i say yeah other anchor you know rule of thumb yeah. to steal the monkey mind so I, i thought why don't you come up with a rhyme for sampajana as well <laughs> oh, okay. the, the next yeah step. we have beneficial so you didn't teach them this money no yes we have one because the bartes. Ara, oh the bartes yeah yeah but that's not for in meditation right that's more for daily life oh this is the one beneficial appropriate relevant <laughs> that ran real Verify cost and condition. Ah, uh, I have, yeah, but I didn't have time to teach you this morning. Okay, tomorrow I'll try to <laughs> learn. But you said that the bar test is more for daily life. No, no, no. But then you jump to the last R. That's really looking at the, the three characteristics and cost and condition. Oh, okay. So actually, it's applicable for is everything. Oh, okay, okay, good, good, good. And one more question about the rhyme. It says free and easy touch and go at the five senses. Right. So is there no free and easy touch and go at the mind sense? At the mind is our anchor. In free and easy touch and go, you don't want to recognize or identify or acknowledge what you see, hear, smell, taste or feel with the body. But with the mind, you want to acknowledge. You see there's a difference. But you don't want to follow. Yeah, so you don't follow. No So there's touch and go, right? That's kind uh, of the same. It's a bit different because in touch and go you don't recognize. You don't try to acknowledge. Whereas in other anchor you acknowledge. There's an additional element there. Okay. You don't reject, you don't follow, and lastly you don't ignore. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You acknowledge. Yeah. Acknowledge means you recognize what it is. What sort of thought or emotion or whatever you have. But at the five senses the acknowledgement, the sanya is immediate. Ah, that one comes, that one is in the mind not at the five senses so when you recognize uh, some object in the mind that will have to go under other anchor you understand But what i mean how is it even possible to have the information from the five senses when you really practice touch and go 
you are not conscious, you don't differentiate between what sound it is. You're just a mess of sounds, it's just a mess of sensations. But that is, is very difficult, right? Because the mind automatically knows it's a bird, or it's the thunder, or it's a car. Yeah, yeah, so that's why when that happens, then you notice, then it's at the anchor. You notice that the mind recognizes. You acknowledge that the mind recognizes, even though you were told not to recognize. I told you, right? You don't try to deliberately identify what you see or sense through your senses, but if the mind automatically does so, it's all right. When the mind automatically does so, it means that it's a mental activity. Then you apply other anchor. Yeah. But it wouldn't make sense to free and easy touch and go because the, all you experience is the mind. No, we try to reduce that. Uh, when you try to maintain an unfocused awareness of things happening, then that won't happen. Ah, okay, okay, okay. That's why we have this very famous saying by the Buddha, in the scene, there should only be the scene. Yeah, you don't go beyond what you see. The moment you try to identify something, you already grasp with the signs and features, then you start to make a story. So, Bhante, we should stay like the mind is here. I should stay here the whole time. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, if you can. But it's not always possible. Okay. In fact, that's what Sri Umi used to say. Yes, yes. Bhante, if let's say we practice, can we have a gap between the acknowledgement, like before we anchor the mind, when we didn't practice, we can't even know that we had to anchor the mind. But after practicing, can it come naturally, the space is there? What space? Our mind, we have this thought that Ranwa, then you say don't follow, don't reject, and then we anchor our mind on the five senses. Okay. So if let's say we have that, can we practice until automatically we will anchor our mind without following them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like don't yeah. need to go to bar test and so on, that it will become naturally? Yeah, yeah, it will. Through practice. Can I ask one more question? <laughs> okay. You're talking about seeing causes and conditioning but it seems like it relates more to, or in the three characteristics, but it seems like it relates more to anatta than to dukkha and anicca, because cause and conditioning, it's easier to realize that it's not you when you see a cause and conditioning, but how do cause and conditioning relate to anicca and dukkha? Mm. Yeah, because you see, if you are continuous enough in your practice, you will see that everything happens due to cause and conditioning, and it never stops. And that's why you begin to realize dukkha. Okay. There's no way you can stop it as long as the causes and conditions are there. And also, it's changing all the time. It's a nature in that sense. Okay. And I told you the other day, if you just see a nature without cause and condition, then you can get to a wrong view. That yeah. is random or there's somebody in charge. Yeah. Okay. Mante, just now I heard you say a do open awareness to compose a mind. Yes. And then you incline the mind to verify. Incline the mind for the three characteristics yeah. and the cause and condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just incline. Yes. You are actually that's it and then you leave it. Yeah, yeah. Because if you try to analyze then it's intellectual really. That is after the other anchor, right? When do you incline the mind? 
I said that when your mind becomes composed, when the mind becomes composed means when there are no thoughts or the thoughts are spaced far apart. Big gaps in between thoughts and then you're aware of the senses and then thoughts. One thought or two thoughts and then you're back to the senses. You incline the mind on what is in the thought or incline the mind on what? It's on the subject. To the subject. The mind that is responding to what is happening at the senses. So you just incline the mind and then leave it? Ah, just leave it. Okay. Then come back to your free and easy touch and go at the five senses. About the five senses, in the eye senses, what we see, we can actually don't pay much attention. You see but don't pay attention yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. really easy. Unless we look clearly, we don't need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the other difficulty is the sound. If we know the language, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really easy not to hear what yeah. is it. But if you are talking in Burmese, I don't even listen. Yeah, I know yeah, there's yeah. a sound. Yeah, yeah. So how can we listen to somebody talking without actually knowing any content at all? Is it possible? Oh, you can. For example, you say, when your eyes are open, but you are listening to sound, then you don't see, right? When your eyes are open, but you are focusing your intention on sounds or body sensations, then your vision becomes indistinct. Because the mind can only take one object at a time. Huh? When it's busy with the body, then this becomes just colors. You're going to differentiate it. So in the same way, if somebody is nagging at you and you just don't want to know what it is, you just want to hear sound and sound, you pay attention to something else. Yeah, maybe your body or something, you can do something like that. So the trick is to pay attention to something else <laughs> yes. without paying attention to that one. Right, right, right. Okay, that is good. <laughs> that is a good... You hear, <laughs> That's good, hear. good strategy for your wife. <laughs> you hear, you are, no, you hear. <laughs> uh, so it's talking a different language. Okay. Uh, uh. I want to ask what is the... Knower, who is a knower? Where is a knower? And knower is a consciousness, ah. This consciousness, consciousness, consciousness arises and passes away due to causes and conditions. Consciousness, not any place, right? Uh, it's not in any place. But actually, you could say the consciousness that arises in you will not arise in him, right? So the place is still the body. The consciousness is dependent on your body, but which part of the body is not clear. Okay, one more question is, just now you mentioned the first method is actually the open awareness and then from there you try to investigate. You are talking about people who are more in intellectual. intellectual. Can you explain a bit? You investigate first. You just, like, maybe like him, when he tries to look at how the thoughts arise, when thoughts arise, you knew, you ask, where did this thought come from? Uh, you can trace the thought by looking back, backwards, backwards. You can say, oh, this thought came because of this thought, this thought came because of this thought, and this thought, this thought. That's more intellectual. But by doing that, then you begin to see that these things are all due to cause and condition, and then you uh, become equanimous. And automatically, you don't reject, you don't follow. You know. And then that's when the mind comes down. So you've got this equanimity just automatically yeah because you already see uh, it's an equanimity you get through wisdom 
because you see things come and go and they are due to cause and condition and so you begin to accept them but equanimity is also a samatha right? what? is it samatha? samatha? that one is one of the brahma viharas the divine abidings that is a different sort of equanimity that is not the seven awakening factors and seven uh, yeah it is also an enlightenment factor that equanimity also comes through wisdom the equanimity of the seven factors of enlightenment so the last can one actually practice brahma vihara to get this the brahma vihara is a different sort of equanimity <laughs> different sort yeah that one doesn't involve inside okay. it's a concept, right? it's, it's a concept. yeah yeah it's a concept okay. let her ask she hasn't asked anything yet okay, okay. <laughs> finally i have a question for vanti okay. <laughs> i think um, all this too chim for you huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I would like to know why recognizing cause and condition is so important. Why is it important? See, if you don't see cause and conditioning, you don't know why you react in a certain way. Like I was telling her, she was saying that it's due to your parents' conditioning when you were small, mm-hmm. but if you're not conscious, you will not know that. Mm-hmm. Your parents' conditioning will make you behave in a certain way. And if you don't know about this conditioning, you could transfer that to your children. Because of your parents' conditioning, you also expect your children to behave in a certain way. But some of their conditioning are no longer valid in this age. But because you did not realize it, and you think that it should be done that way. For example, this idea of yours that you shouldn't waste, that's a very typical Chinese mentality. You shouldn't waste, so whatever you take, you must finish. Then you say it's tasteless, there may be no nutrition, but still you eat it because you're hanging on to the idea. Mm. I'll give you a more extreme case. Mm-hmm. There are some yogis here, you find the food here so delicious, so they take more than what they needed. Mm. By the time they are full, there's still a lot more on the plate. They feel they feel uh, ashamed or embarrassed that they take so much and they don't eat and they feel very bad to throw it away so they stuff it in and now after that they suffer the rest of the day <laughs> yeah because they're clinging to the idea that you should not waste and that these things have been given out of goodwill and uh, you have taken so since you're so greedy you should punish yourself for being so greedy <laughs> So it's causing you double suffering. <laughs> because you don't see the cause and conditioning, that some of these conditioning are no longer valid. Another important thing why you need to see cause and conditioning is that when you realize that all your thoughts, judgments, comments on people are due to causes and conditions and not really because of you, you did not create them, it's due to cause and conditioning, then you can understand that other people are the same. So everybody is the same. Everyone also is a product of causes and conditions. So when you see that, then you become more acceptable. You accept people more. You forgive people more. So that's why it's so important. And then you accept yourself and you forgive yourself too. I see. Okay. Actually, if you can see causes and conditions, you will solve a lot of your worldly problems. Then your life will become less suffering and you have more contentment. <laughs> Give her the mic.
in Singapore, the buffet, I think if you don't finish, they wait and find you <laughs> to prevent people from wasting food. <laughs> okay. Mbande, I think, based on this question, the one fo- who is fully enlightened don't care. <laughs> and finally, because they, they practice more and more the cause and condition, they find that every cause and condition, there is a previous cause and condition of this one. And you can trace back to a long, long previous one and find only the thing affecting each other. There is no beginner. And we are a part of this one, too. The final effect will become another cause and condition of another effect. In Chinese, we say, I mean, finally, the thing will become boring if you really contemplate about this thing. You don't care about thing anymore. That's why an Arohan who completely enlightened or really completely how the Arohan who become completely liberated from suffering because he see the all the condition and cause. He find no one to blame and everything's meaningless. Even though I didn't see it directly, but I can understand it in this way. Good thing you don't need to be happy with <laughs> because the good thing also is cause and conditioned. Bad thing you don't need to be sad with. Only cause and condition. Nothing is internal. When you die, it's also not annihil. That's okay. the middle way of putting it. You're asking a question or you're giving a Dhamma talk? <laughs> I guess so, I guess so. Come on, give it to somebody else who want to ask a question. Arahana won't have the problem of over-collecting. They have no greed. Huh? Uh, it's due to greed that we over-collect. No, not necessarily. Sometimes it's due to underestimation or overestimation. Of what? Of a food. Lah. You're not always that correct. Yeah? Sometimes you don't know the exact uh, situation of the tummy or whether you can take in the food or not. There are many, as you said, many causes and conditions. One shouldn't judge other people when they cannot finish something in their plate and say that it's because of greed that they take too much. <laughs> but usually, I think it's <laughs> because of greed that we overcollect. No? Because we like this food, so we tend to take more. No, for us, sometimes we have to take because people offer, we take a spoon of that. After you go to 30 dishes, you come out, your bowl is full and you have to throw away. Do experience eat everything, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that one is the monk trying to please the people who go down now because if then they cook any they offer, then the monk doesn't take and some will feel disappointed. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, anyway. Question or Abdama talk? A uh, question. I haven't practiced this technique before, but I read the Padishasambhupada, so I have some concept in it. And once you give me this technique, because I have the foundation of the reading the content, then it's very easy for me to, maybe I like to practice it on this way. My question is, just do it by this way, just do it. Just everything I put it into the, my mind that everything I see, everything I experience, or every react I'm going to make, I have to think about it. What's the cause and what's the condition? Just now you mentioned the mind is collecting data, 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 until it's sufficient, then... So, so what's the question? The question, <laughs> is it... 
<laughs> I will need your confirm. Can I go fast on the mic? <laughs> My question is about sati, yeah. and you say that sati is actually to remember. In English, it is more translated as mindfulness. But what if you're trying to remember something without being mindful? Because I think most people, when they remember, they're not mindful. They're just remembering. Again? Is sati a wrong translation? If you it mean is mindfulness? Yeah. Mindfulness, you mean? As mindfulness, yeah. You mean sati is a wrong translation or mindfulness is a wrong translation? Mindfulness. Oh, okay. No, it's, it's not wrong as long as we understand what it means. The way mindfulness is understood these days as present moment awareness mm-hmm. is only the last hour of mindfulness. Yeah. Uh, last hour of sati. Retrospecting. Yeah, it's, that's in the present moment because you're looking back at what has just happened. But then you can also remember or retrospect without being mindful. What do you mean by mindful then? What do I? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? My about? question is more that is in that case is mindfulness the wrong translation of sati? No, it's not. As long as you clarify what it means, ah, okay. As you clarify what it means. You can use the word any word you want, but you must clarify what it means. Okay. Yeah, not just present moment awareness, because you need the other three aspects of mindfulness as well to practice. Correct. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember instructions, you've got to recollect them, you've got to remind yourself to do so. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you need to introspect, to look back at what had happened. And that's what you mean by mindfulness. That, that's the popular understanding of mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah, but it's only one aspect of it. Okay. So that's why people, you know, although mindfulness is pervading the whole world now in all aspects of human endeavor, a lot of people don't get insights. Mm-hmm. They get composed because they are in the moment. When you are with the present moment with the five senses, that's the key to composure. Mm -hmm. Because your mind is busy, the five senses is not thinking of the past or the future. Mm -hmm. And because your mind is composed, then they can do things more effectively. Mm -hmm. Whether it's politics or business or sports or whatever. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's a simple principle. But it's not right mindfulness. Uh, That's not right mindfulness, no. I was just thinking, like, you can remember, but you can do it in a not mindful way. Like, you can be not mindful, not in the present moment, but remember something. Yeah, you can remember in two ways. One is spontaneous remembrance, that is sanya. Or when that spontaneous remembrance, memory arises, then you continue it, that is with sankhara. That it goes under sankhara. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Pandey, just now you used the word subject and object. Right. I feel that the subject you actually refer to I but is it that because of you don't want to use your mind you say subject because you don't want us to attach to I to let us see the anatta yeah thank you you say it's I but this who's the I which is the I for example when you're sitting and then you have a mosquito bites you and then I say don't move this intention that says scratch, scratch, is itchy. And then another intention says, no, stop, stop, don't scratch yet. Which one is you? The first one or the second intention? <laughs> <laughs> the one that wants to scratch is you or the one that says don't scratch? <laughs> Both not are you. There's different products of different causes and conditions. 
So that's why I'm saying the subject, and the subject is actually a product of causes and conditions. It's changing all the time. You can use the word I, but then you must understand that this, the word that he used, is just a representation of the subject. Right, the problem is, you know, when people say I, they already have this false sense of selfhood. Bonte just got confused a bit with the word Sankara and its <laughs> different meaning. Yeah. To my understanding, what we have to do through meditation is making conscious what is unconscious. Either it is uh, body, speech or mind. Like Bonte Narayo defines three kinds of Sankara. But what is bodily, verbal and mental Sankara. Oh, that's a different sort of Sankara. Again, we say <laughs> different Sankara. That is uh, what we call volition. Okay. Volition connected with bodily actions, volition connected with verbal actions, and volition connected with mental actions. Okay, but this uh, couldn't be the same, because I kind of see the link, but not so clearly. And I think it's, I kind of see the same, like in this definition and conscious reactive pattern. I don't see any contradiction with the way Goenkaji used the term uh, Sankara. Also, in the way you teach, I don't see any contradiction because it's just like you're thinking, you're not aware you're thinking. The time that you become aware you're thinking, you become aware of your reaction, because it's a reaction, it's unconscious reactive pattern for me. You're thinking, you're not aware you're thinking, so it's unconscious. And the, by the practice, you just make it conscious. Those knots and folding them, and that's the way I understand like getting rid of your sankharas like this. Okay, as I said, the big sankhara refers to everything, whether it's conscious or unconscious. It's a product of causes and conditions. So even the the practice of making what is unconscious conscious, that itself is a sankhara. one last one is uh, Vedana the effect of Sanya no independent they are very closely related so it depends whether you are a feeler or a thinker or whether you are an emotional person or an intellectual for people who are intellectual usually it's a Sanya that is more prominent and for people who are emotional it's the feeling that is more prominent so the feeling will lead to that Sanya and perception and a lot of thoughts and making you even feel more miserable. If you're an intellectual, you interpret things in a certain way and then it makes you feel miserable. So it depends. Sometimes you cannot really say, you cannot really be 100%, you cannot really classify a person as 100% emotional, 100% intellectual because we vary. Sometimes we are more of this and sometimes we are more of that. So yeah. sometimes the feelings will influence the sanya, and sometimes the sanya will influence the feelings. Because it seems that when I have a thought, then sanya interprets the thought, and based on this interpretation, I have a feeling. Ah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You see, if you are more intellectually inclined, the sanya comes first, and the feelings comes later. So other people have a thought, and then they have a feeling and interpretation. Right. But then what causes the Vedana? What causes something to be either positive or good or bad? No, the sort of inline you're talking about occurs in the mind. That mind that has this aversion in it, the mind that has the aversion will automatically have unpleasant feelings 
arising together with it. Then aversion is a sankara. The mind consciousness arises. It arises together with that anger, which is a sankara, yeah. together with feeling, which is with dosa. Yeah. Ah, yeah. dosa is a sankara. Yeah, with uh, domanasa, which is the unpleasant feeling. It arises together with that. Now that mental quality, mental state, will then trigger off the body to produce neuropeptides, biochemicals that will make you unpleasant in the body. You have mental unpleasant feelings as well as physical and unpleasant feelings. Yeah, that's how the English say is emotion. Emotion mm-hmm. is a combination of mental and physical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what uh, when I was at Lunas, the Sayadaw said that uh, Vedana is mental, but it feels as if the Vedana is in the body. Like it fe- the body feels yeah, unpleasant. Uh, also, the other thing you should understand about the Burmese when they use the word mental, they say mind means Anything that can know or be conscious. Not like the English. When you say mind in English, we don't mean the five senses. But the Burmese, when they say mind, they include the five senses because the five senses are conscious. They are conscious of their respective objects. They also say that as mind. You see, if you're an English speaker, that's kind of very confusing to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you add the senses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you add the senses in there. When you say Vedana is mental, what he's trying to say is that Vedana is one of the four mental aggregates. Yeah. It's mental in the sense is yeah, it's Nama, it's not Rupa. But then, body consciousness is physical. So we have physical pain as well as mental rejection. You have two pain, you have the mental pain and physical pain, if you react to the pain. Yeah. 